0: What's up? Welcome back to the podcast. This is Justin. You might notice my voice sounds a little bit deeper today. And before you ask yourself this question, no, I have not hit puberty again. Thank goodness. I've only gone through that adventure once. I have been a little bit sicky though. And I also went to the SEC championship game in Atlanta, which means I pushed myself physically and spiritually to places I probably shouldn't have. But I'm feeling pretty good today. I actually feel really good about the stuff we talked about. We talked a lot about uh, how this college football season has ended. We've talked about the playoff field a little bit. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about that SEC championship game, what Georgia did not do very well in that game, what they can possibly do different. And, uh, oh, yeah, if you've been wanting to to hear us weigh in on the whole JT Daniels versus Stetson Bennett discussion, you're in good luck because uh, we, we, dive, we dive into it. Uh, we've kind of been avoiding it, but we didn't for this episode we just kind of we shared our thoughts we bared it all we laid it out all on the table so uh yeah if you want to hear some juicy juicy conversations about that you're in luck today we're also going to talk about uh what is the hardest job in america and uh yeah and with that i'm going to kick it over to me and scott we did not have jonathan with us today I'm very sad about that. But Jonathan, if you're listening, please, please come back. We miss you so much. We love you. We, we really want you to come back. Okay, this is Let The Me Takes. Bonjour, and welcome to Let Them Eat Takes, fourth podcast of the outrage era. Here, Matt, as always, is Scott. Say hi to the people, Scott. I'm pissed. He's pissed. You heard it himself. And me. I'm livid. I'm Justin. And we're missing Jonathan. He was so angry today, he decided not to show up. So, it's just the two of us bro bromigos. How are you doing today, Scott?
1: Pretty good. Pretty good. I, yeah. uh... You know, at the end of the day, I'm not the person that tweeted it's absolute insanity that people talk seriously about Michigan firing Harbaugh a year ago, despite being one of the people that was talking about firing Harbaugh a year ago. So (laughs) uh, I'm not that guy, so I'm doing pretty good.
0: This is your Dan Wilkin watch. Uh, Dan Wilkin has never gone back on anything he says. He's a clear torchbearer of consistency. ...in all of his journalistic and personal life endeavors. (laughs) Gotta love it. Yeah. I'll tell you what's also insane... ...according to some people... ...is Cincinnati making the playoff field... ...before such story programs like... ...Florida, Nebraska... ...Texas, Miami... ...Penn State, USC... ...Auburn... ...have I missed any others... Well, a lot of others, but I don't remember <laughs> which ones count. There's a lot of teams that haven't made it, right? Right. So, I I heard people say that, and I know Kirk Herbstreet kind of went on a Twitter rant because I guess he thought Cincinnati fans were crazy. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it was a, an Ohio thing. No, so what it was is
1: there's been, you know, like a... A push from a large section of media members for the last number of years the last at least like three or four years basically since UCF didn't get in the playoff right a lot of people that have said oh they're just they'll keep a G5 team out no matter what they'll never put a G5 team in everything is rigged Uh, there's no way a G5 team can make it it'll never happen and then a G5 team very clearly made it into the playoffs for this year <laughs> and so Herb Street, who is very can be very old man get off my lawn like the way it used to be football guy but in this case he was saying you know after seven years of yeah. uh, the oh they'll never get a chance haven't <laughs> heard much from anybody the last couple of days is everything okay uh, what's the next conspiracy theory You know, can't wait because that one's history and, and all of the people that have been on that boat of course responded with oh well it only happened because there was this circumstance and this circumstance and that circumstance and blah 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 and it's like hey man if you say it's never going to happen and it happens you're wrong If you had said, it's not going to happen much, it's a long shot, whatever, and then it happens one time, you get to say, yeah, it happened one time in this long shot scenario.
0: But if you say never, and then it happens, that's on you. Oh, man, the game of technicalities. Yeah, well, it's,
1: it's also interesting because, you know, Cincinnati was undefeated, and it did take some scenarios like some details coming together like they had to have a good game scheduled against Notre Dame that they were able to win so they had to have a good p5 win right so that if Notre Dame had lost a couple more games which Cincinnati can't control that could have hurt them right right Um, and it did take a year where you only had three one loss or no loss teams from the other power five conferences. But really Notre Dame was one. So you really had four, right? But you know, we'll just ignore that. So there's some things like that, you know, that had to come together. Some people were playing the, Oh, if Oklahoma state had just gotten a touchdown, Cincinnati would be out. It's like, I'm not really sure that's the case, but you know, go off, go ahead. Yeah. Um, But I think one of the things people are overlooking is that Notre Dame was not really a playoff caliber team. They just happened to have a playoff caliber team record. So Cincinnati's getting more credit for that win than they actually deserve. Especially when Cincinnati had a bye week before that game, right? I think people also forget that too. Um, But the AAC was really bad this year. It's the worst the AAC has been in a while. So a lot of times, the AAC is sort of like better than the rest of the G5 and not quite as good as like the Pac-12 or something, but they're sort of in their own little individual league. And this year, the AAC was bad. Mm. I mean, bad, bad. Yeah. So you could definitely spin it as, hey, look, Cincinnati... Played the I was just about the worst possible schedule Cincinnati could play, like conference schedule wise, and still got in. So it's not really like a complete long shot scenario here. Yeah. I mean, I think I looked at their FC their SP rankings. Their median opponent was ECU, who was ranked 76th. Yeah. That's their median opponent, Georgia. Who had a pretty down schedule year compared to normal, because Florida wasn't as good as normal. They, you know, they fired their coach partway through the season. Auburn wasn't as good as normal because they were in a first-year head coach situation. You know, you had South Carolina, Tennessee, first-year head coaches. You have Georgia Tech continuing to be down, and your out-of-conference game. Clemson wasn't quite as good as Clemson in years past. All of that, the median opponent was Auburn, who is ranked number thirty-four, who would basically be the second best opponent on Cincinnati's schedule. Yeah, you know, uh, so Georgia played what one two, nine games against like top fifty opponents. Cincinnati played three.
0: Yeah, and, it's and
1: fifty. Sorry, I say fifty is kind of a round number. It's sort of arbitrary cutoff, whatever. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, you know, you could use top 40 teams, and then it's seven top 40 teams versus two top 40 teams. Like, whatever you want to have the cutoff of a functioning team to be, whether you want to cut that off at 30 or 40 or 50, Uh, (laughs) Georgia had, you know, half their schedule or more of those kind of games, and Cincinnati played, like,
0: one or two or three. Yeah, it's frustrating when you see people... I don't think most people think this way, but you definitely see them on Twitter and online who they, they ask like, what's the big difference between, you know, like power five and group of five play. Like it's kind of, it gets kind of insane sometimes like a, a win over a 10 and two Houston team just isn't the same as a win over a 10 and two Oklahoma state. Uh, man, I'm just looking at since schedule too, and they played some bad teams kind of closely. Like yeah, you don't on get, on multiple occasions, right? Yeah, Navy like was this like is, three and this eight. This would be like
1: yeah, this would be like if Georgia had randomly played close games against Missouri and Georgia Tech and Vanderbilt. Yeah, and, and if that happened, that would be held against Georgia, right? Very heavily, and and rightfully so. Those would be uh, you know bad outings, bad data points for the playoff committee. Like if you had barely beaten Vanderbilt or Georgia Tech, people would have pointed to those teams and said, "Wow, they finished with a terrible record, and look, they got blown
0: out by like six other teams. Why didn't you blow them out?" True. Or if you got close wins against Auburn, LSU, and people think that your whole your whole your whole shtick is up. Yeah, what if that happened? Down. You you would surely be you would surely be dead at that point. <laughs> the tide is down fear the nick no more
1: uh i am happy are we that are we about to have our uh our segment just for zach
0: just for zach yeah
1: zach, <laughs> come come and listen to all the georgia fans
0: weep and complain oh man uh yeah so i got to i got to be at the game saturday as you know our listeners don't know that's so why that's why i'm talking about it uh oh yeah i forgot you made that mistake <laughs> It was a lot of fun, but man, my soul did leave my body somewhere early in the third quarter. My butt stayed in my seat, but like, you know, spiritually, I was checked out. Uh, I was just hoping to see, just praying that Alabama wouldn't score any more points or Georgia would do something because I was legitimately afraid that Georgia was about to lose its playoff spot to Baylor because they got embarrassed in the SEC championship game, not just beaten handedly.
1: No, Baylor had two losses. Baylor was not getting in over a one-loss Georgia.
0: But Bob Bowles being the Big 12 and the... the, 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 the.
1: (laughs) No, I'll say this, right? Had had Alabama won by a touchdown or two more than they did and had Oklahoma State won then I think you would have started to have some discussion. Because you would have had some people that wanted to put Georgia in at four, and some that wanted Oklahoma State, and some that wanted Notre Dame. And then you start to get some split votes and different opinions, and it gets murky. Probably, you know, maybe Georgia still makes it, maybe not, right? But that would have been a discussion. But, yeah. It just wasn't going to happen, right? At that point, I know a lot of people were melting down saying, oh, we're not going to be in the playoff. We don't deserve to be in the playoff. Like, what are we doing here? This is a waste. We're going to get bumped out. Like, no, we got bumped all the way to three.
0: <laughs> but clearly, it clearly wasn't that close. No. Uh, it, do, it does go to show, I think, a lot of these decisions get made earlier on the season. People realize, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Definitely helps Georgia in this case that people still think you're a really good team, even though you just got butt blasted by Nick Saban
1: yet again. Well, part of it is they look at the whole season and the whole body of work, right? And so, a lot of times with like fan and media stuff, people are just looking at your last game, and that's they're judging everything based off of that, right? Right. The one of the things the committee does fairly well is they still look at the whole season they still say hey if you were bad all year long just because you win one game doesn't make you awesome you know Or, or vice versa teams lose a game all the time it happens yeah you can you can lose a game to a team by like 30 points and then turn around a month later and beat them by three touchdowns it happens it does Hopefully it happens again, but we'll have to see. We'll have to play uh, Michigan first.
0: <laughs> TBD on a lot of levels. Uh, I do like this playoff field. I'm glad Cincinnati got in because in my 3D chess mind, this may be the. It might help pump the brakes on to expanding the 12 teams in the playoffs, mostly because I think this was one of the years where the way the playoff format is situated, I think actually helped Cincinnati get in and they don't have to you know basically the if you're a group of five team and you want to get a piece of this playoff pie I think you can look at what Cincinnati did and say ooh we just need to get one quality win against a slightly better than average or else I'll say better than average power five team i.e. Notre Dame and you can let the group of five teams just beat up on each other maybe we can sneak in and people will be mad but we're still in I don't know.
1: Yeah, you know, you have to count on the Notre Dame or the P5 team that you beat having a good season, so that's a little bit out of your control. In this case, they had Notre Dame and Indiana on the schedule, which then meant that when Indiana was total trash this year, Notre Dame was still good and it worked out it's like if they had just had one team one p5 team that's a little riskier because then they can have a bad season and you have no quality p5 win yeah i, I think the way to do it is to schedule two or three you know real p5 games so that you know you're going to have some of those work out as good wins but even then you're all <laughs> If you have like one or two teams in your conference you play that are at a P5 level, even if you schedule three out of conference, it's still only five P5 level games, right? Right. As opposed to other
0: schools that are, have at least 10 or 11. That's true. That's because not we, a bad hustle, though. No. I mean, it's kind of close to what Notre Dame does. You know, they just kind of get to pick and choose sometimes. It, it. Sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. Yeah, and Notre Dame's schedule a lot of years has ended up
1: a lot like what Georgia's schedule was this year. It's sort of if you take away maybe Alabama and Clemson, especially if you take away the Alabama game because that's not one you officially schedule and Notre Dame doesn't have that conference championship game. Mm. But a schedule that's full of a bunch of pretty decent teams but not a lot of elite teams. That's kind of what Georgia's schedule is like this year. Yeah. That's what Notre Dame's schedules are like a lot of times, right? Yeah. They're just like full of six, seven, eight, and 9 win teams. Just a bunch of like solid functional winning teams, but nothing really outstanding. The problem is when they go undefeated on that schedule by just barely winning all their games, right? Like right. nobody was giving Georgia credit for having... The absolute hardest schedule in football this year But they were getting credit for still having a solid schedule while winning every game by multiple touchdowns and cruising because right. that counts too.
0: Had a, you tell you had a great schedule this year if you just want to look at like, you know Potential resume building opportunities was Arkansas and they went eight and four and I would say that's pretty dang good And you see what teams they had to play
1: yeah, I think they finished as, like, number one on the strength of schedule by a lot of metrics. And everybody yeah. knew coming into the year, it's like, oh, man, this schedule is brutal.
0: If they have a winning record, that's an
1: accomplishment.
0: Yeah, Sam Pittman changed his uh, representation at Jimmy Sexton, who, like, represents, I think, mean, everybody who's, a, who's who in Power 5 coaching. So that, that should tell you. What, the, what, what he thinks about how he did this year and what people around him think how he did. Yeah, he's going to get paid. Yes, sir. <laughs> the pitmaster. I love that guy. Ugh. Uh, did you want to talk about a Georgia game? Because uh, I've watched a lot of replay and I'm still wrapping my mind around how it went and uh, what went wrong specifically. But uh, boy, that was hard to watch.
1: Yeah, it was pretty aggressively unfun. You could... Uh, you knew early on, even though... Like, Alabama, did they score in the first quarter? I don't remember if they did, but they their offense didn't do much in the first quarter. Right. But you could tell even in the first quarter that there was no pass rush. Right? Right. And so... And you could also tell in the first quarter that our offense was winning the line of scrimmage as well. And so what happens at the line of scrimmage in the first quarter usually only like, continues to happen more so as the game goes on, right? Like you're not usually getting pushed around on the line of scrimmage and magically turn around as the game goes on. Because you guys yeah. don't get stronger, right? They're not juicing at halftime. Well, maybe they are, but they it doesn't it. <laughs> it doesn't kick in fast enough, right? <laughs> so, so anyway, no pass rush against Bama. So, you you know, my early thoughts in the game was like, okay, they're gonna score some points at some point because if you're not getting a pass rush, this is not gonna be like a single digit, you know, defensive kind of game, right? <laughs> um, un- unless you get. Aggressive or creative with the blitz, which we did in the third and fourth quarter. Some the problem was the twenty-four or twenty-eight like straight unanswered points in the uh, second quarter and to start the third quarter, right? They basically had a that big spree, right? And you had yeah, something like a fifteen-minute stretch of the game where they had twenty-eight points. Is that right? They
0: had like four or five drives where they were consistently scoring. Right. So no and so, points. like, what's interesting is that they had that
1: section of the game that was less than a third of the game where their offense was absolutely killing it, scoring every time. And then the whole rest of the game, the offense pretty much did nothing. Our first quarter, nothing. Most of the third quarter, nothing. Whole fourth quarter, nothing. Right? Yeah. So it, it's kind of interesting, you know, when you talk about, like, uh potential rematch right it i'm not sure how it will go i'm sure we'll talk about rematch stuff in the future or whatever um assuming that happens right assuming both teams win
0: their first game but i don't feel good about georgia's chances at a rematch mostly because i saw them shuffle around the defensive backfield a lot especially the second half and there just isn't i don't think there's a defensive back on a roster who can compete with Jamison williams one-on-one if there is, we haven't seen him on the field. And even Kirby said, you know, there are guys on the roster who are more athletic and faster that they haven't put on the field yet because they, they're not sure if they're ready to play. But I don't um,
1: So one thing with that is tore Torres' ACL, and he's
0: out. He's yeah. gone. I feel right. bad for him, not his team. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so as far as a rematch goes, that changes the dynamic for Alabama against Cincinnati and probably against Georgia, right? It's different when you are trying to figure out how to double-team Jamison Williams and also not leave Mechie open, right? So when it's just Jamison Williams, we'll we'll see what that looks like for them, right? I'm not sure. I'm not sure how Cincinnati and how Georgia play them will have much overlap anyway.
0: But we'll see. Cincinnati so, is uh, number two in the nation when it comes to passing yards allowed. I don't know what that means. But a, lot part- of it,
1: a lot of it means that they've been winning the whole time. <laughs> but, so Cincinnati has one cornerback who is really, really good. And he's big and tall and long. And so I imagine he's going to be covering Jameson Williams in press coverage a lot of the game. So he could get toasted or he could completely shut him down. Both of those are totally on the table for that game, right? If he totally shuts shuts them down, I have no idea uh, what Alabama looks like offensively against Cincinnati. If if, if Williamson toasts them for a couple long touchdowns, then Alabama cruises to an easy win. And like I said, that's also on the table.
0: Well, I know. I remember Jameson Williams got ejected for targeting against Auburn. I have to think that did a lot to affect the outcome of that game. It Um, certainly did. Who who did. I know they. So you basically had Mechie out there, but they. uh, I know their game plan was very different from Georgia's, in which they brought the house and then played tight press coverage. Who did they have on Mechie? I know they got. Was it Smoke Monday? Was it. Um, I'm not sure who was covering him. Yeah, I was. That was right after kids.
1: Thanksgiving. I was traveling that day, so I was like listening and keeping up with that game, but I didn't see a whole lot. Yeah. But so anyway, uh, all that to say, the matchup will be different already as you have different players available. No, Mechie Josh Job, cornerback um, for Alabama, is also out for the season. He's not that good, so. That, may or may not change things. He's not as impactful as Mechie, but it's just, you know, anytime you have a starter go out and now you're playing somebody that's a backup, it's not a guarantee that the backup is going to be functional or ready to play, right? Anyway, uh, on the defensive back front, (laughs) the star position was the weakest link at defensive back for Georgia all season. Some of that probably has to do with Tykee Smith, your starter at that position, getting hurt and not playing the whole season, right? I don't
0: understand.
1: What do you mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Brini played pretty well at that position, right? especially for the first half of the year. But by about the middle of the season and for the second half of the year, other teams started targeting Brini way more than any of our other defensive backs because they realized this is the weakest link. It doesn't mean he's terrible, but it just meant he was the weakest link. So you saw Tennessee do it a couple times early, right? Remember Tennessee's like, good first quarter on offense? A lot of that was Brini, And what we did that game is they just rotated Chris Smith down to star and put Dan Jackson in at safety, and they didn't really have anybody to pick on in the same way they picked on Breeny. That wasn't really an option against Alabama because Chris Smith was hobbled and like wasn't really full speed. So you can't just say, oh, well, put the injured but playing guy in that position and fix it. So they played William Poole instead. So what you're playing is you're playing your fourth string slot guy. Yeah. Right? And it turns out your fourth string slot guy could not run with Jameson Williams. Shock. I'm yeah. shocked. So anyway, it, all that to say that it those kind of matchups will be a little bit different the next time you play. I'm not I don't know how they'll turn out or what exactly they'll do. Will they put Chris Smith there assuming he's healthy? Um you had some blown coverages on defense as far as like just screwed up zone coverages yeah. that hadn't really happened
0: much all year. So I you know yeah, that we'll see how much play, happens again. Yeah, the play that seemed to, that shifted, or being a stadium it definitely shifted the entire mood of the game was that one long like it was I think it was Jameson Williams on like the post or the slant. He just took it in open space and ran it to the end zone. Are
1: we talking about the third and two that was a chop block that they didn't call? Oh, <laughs> That might have been the same play. Yeah, it's that one. Yeah, um, so it, it Miss calls and stuff happen all the time. Alabama played better that game. I'm not saying they didn't. But a lot of people have a very hopeless feeling. It's like, hey, guys, if they call that chop block, that touchdown's off the board. If that Bryce Young fumble doesn't somehow magically come back to Bryce Young instead of like six defenders that are around him, those things happen. It's a totally different game without even playing better, without actually being aggressive and blitzing from the start, without having Stetson do dumb stuff in the red zone, which is maybe kind of par for him anyway, right? Without having George Pickens actually playing in the second game, without possibly switching to your better quarterback for the rematch, without any of the actual changes that could and or will happen, that game's not
0: really as far away as it like at times right right well i know what jonathan would say if you're he here he would say jonathan or he would say scott you make this sound like this should have been that we could have predicted this like a mile ago can't we just be mad at what happened and just say that nick saban's kirby's daddy i mean people can say
1: that if they want to people now, are welcome true people are welcome well that's the thing he's not kirby's daddy he's everybody's daddy <laughs> Right? That's what. That's where people are getting messed up and confused. They're like <laughs> Alabama owns Georgia, guys. Alabama owns college football, right? Yeah. It's not owning Georgia. They haven't lost to a team from the SEC East since like 2010. Last time I checked, Georgia's not the only team in the SEC East, right? Last time I checked, Georgia's not the only team Alabama's beat in a title game or a playoff game or any game, right?
0: So that's that's the well, yep, that's that is the uncomfortable truth. But of course, you know, it's easy to be, especially if you're, you know, it's easy for any one fan base to only look inside themselves. Like I'm sure Ohio State fans maybe had a similar conversation after they lost Alabama pretty similar fashion a year ago in the championship. And like, I don't remember that being a particularly close game even with superstar Justin Fields. No, somehow, somehow, even with him and all his national titles. Yeah. So I don't know if I want to get into the whole, uh, it was funny being there because almost everybody was screaming for JT Daniels by the, uh, by the third quarter. And I get it. And, you know, I've, I've been team JT pretty much the whole year, but I don't know if putting throwing him in there was going to make a big difference considering how the game was going on the other side of the ball. So
1: I think it could have made quite a big difference. Um, People, I think, look at the final score and forget that you had, what, a pick six for one of those? Yeah. Right? And like we mentioned, Alabama had their offensive explosion and then went back to... not a whole lot on offense right so if you don't throw that pick six which is included in the scenario where you pull stetson right you were like one touchdown away pretty much for the whole second half yeah and you were down in the red zone multiple times so there's an argument to be made that if you're playing the quarterback who's better on third downs and better at not throwing the ball to the other team for no reason, that, yeah, it could have gone differently.
0: But why are we doing
1: that? Nobody knows. Practice is a secret. They don't tell anybody anything. So Uh. they can speculate and come up with all kinds of reasons and all kinds of, you know,
0: discussion, which has been had so much. Uh, Yeah, I've seen all the conspiracy theories all ranging from, oh, the team quit on JT Daniels or JT Daniels quit on the team. Kirby likes Stetson because Stetson's like Kirby. I actually entertained that theory a little bit on our Discord. I really, that's the one to me that I think is just like the most like unrealistic of them. Well, I've also seen that clip of of Kirby being asked like, did you ever think that Stetson Bennett was ever going to be like a key contributor on your player? And he, without hesitating said no. Right. And I don't blame him, but Kirby's also said
1: he would never recruit himself. He's like, Mm -hmm. if I was a high school football player, I wouldn't recruit me because I don't have what it takes to play for what we're trying to do. Ooh. So there goes that narrative. Kirby wants to win that doesn't mean that every decision he makes is going to be right but he's you know they're trying to make decisions to win why Stetson over JT is it all about having the legs to run around is it about JT wasn't really as healthy for most of the season as people expected I mean last year he was quote-unquote medically cleared long before he was actually able to play on the field, right? So, I would not be surprised if that was the case for this year. Was there some disagreement between the UGA medical staff and Daniel's personal medical people? There's rumors that there were, but it's all just rumors, and there's so many rumors out there about this kind of stuff that who knows what's real or not, right? Right. So... For me, I would hope that we play Daniels for the playoff. It gives us a better chance. But I've been hoping that we would play Daniels for, uh, you know, the majority of the second half of the season, and we haven't yet. So I'm not getting my hopes up.
0: Uh, Yeah, I I would assume we'll see the mailman come out and play. And, you know, I'm sure against Michigan it'll be fine. But I don't feel good about trotting him out there against Alabama. You know, And I I don't know, I don't know if I how much I believe this narrative about Kirby Smart, but I think there might be some truth to it. You know, some people think there's only one way for him to win in his mind, and it's all about, you know, playing tight defense and controlling the ball. You know, I don't know if that's true. I do think those are dated ways to try to win. It's not the, you can still win a football game that way, but that's, not the only way in recent history would say that's not the best way to win football games. I, I don't think that's Kirby's plan of how he
1: wants to play. It's not how the team was built up, built and set to play this year, right? You right. have a, a coordinator who wants to throw the ball, and you were built around your quarterback and your receivers. Now, did all your your quarterback and all your receivers all get hurt? Yes, yes, they did. Right, so. People ask Kirby that kind of stuff all the time and he's like, hey guys, I don't care. I just want to score points. So everything he says goes totally against the narrative, right? I understand that how things play out on the field drives the narrative a lot too and in years past, especially like the Fromm era, the Chaney era, and well, Coley, whatever you call that, was not very progressive and forward thinking on offense. And even now, it's not like they're reinventing offense, but it's much more aggressive and balanced and being able to win with the pass. But it's not Kirby's fault that George Pickens missed the whole year, that Blaylock missed the whole year, that Burton missed a lot of time, that Arian Smith basically missed the whole year, that Kiris Jackson missed most of the year. There's nothing you can do about that, right? They had planned to come in and throw the ball a bunch, and then you had a walk-on as your leading receiver against Clemson because there was no receivers left.
0: We can't hire Mark McGuire's old personal trainer to give our receivers steroids so they can not get hurt quite as easily or maybe recover faster. Yeah, I got to get that That's recovery good. cycle. Uh, just I pulled up some, some third-down stats because I think sometimes people – when people uh, argue for JT Daniels over Stetson, people will say, oh, you're just saying that because he was the higher rated quarterback on 24-7 sports. You know, there's some of that. But uh, here's how both. I think uh, let's just assume that ball control is important to Kirby Smart. If that's important, then you would have to convert on third down a lot. Here's uh, Stetson Bennett. His here's, Bennett, here's a game-by-game breakdown of his third down conversions. three. 3, 11 against Vandy, 4 out of 12 against Arkansas, 5 out of 13 against Auburn, two out of seven versus Kentucky, four out of nine versus Florida, four out of nine versus Missouri, 5 out of 12 versus Tennessee, two out of five versus Georgia Tech, and three out of 12 versus Alabama. Now granted, sample size is a lot lower for J.T. Daniels, but here's what's looked like this year. Seven out of 15 versus Clemson, three out of three versus Vandy. 9 out of 12 versus USC. I mean, if last... you go back and look at Daniel's third down
1: stuff last year, too, and they converted at an extremely high rate, and he was really good on third down. Yeah. And what it comes down to is third down, those numbers roughly, not exactly, roughly are times where you have to pass. And what the numbers show you is the same thing you can see by watching the game is that one of these guys can throw the ball and one of these guys is really limited when it comes to throwing the ball. Right. To, to me, it's pretty clear you want a guy that can throw the ball at quarterback. Call me crazy and old-fashioned, but that's, you know, you would like a guy, a quarterback that can throw. And, hey, if you don't need third downs, then you're already winning by enough that it doesn't matter who the quarterback is.
0: So just play Daniels. Yeah. I'm on I'm on Team J T. Free our our special mustache boy. Even though he doesn't have a mustache anymore, I just like to think of him having that beautiful yeah. caterpillar on it, his lip.
1: It, yeah, and, and I'm with you. I've been on the we should be playing JT as soon as possible train all season. And not because Bennett is terrible, but because Bennett doesn't give you the upside of the passing game that you expect to need at some point when you get into the SEC championship and playoffs, right?
0: Yeah, and I'll, I'll give credit. Bennett, if you had told me that Bennett was going to throw like fifth, close to 50 times in that game, I would have said, oh, was, the stat line is going to look really bad for him. It wasn't great, but, you know, he got three touchdowns. Uh, two of those I'm pretty sure were on screen, so maybe it's not the best, you know, the way he got yeah, those that, that's the thing, right? How many throws did he make? Where it's like, oh, that's a good throw. Maybe that one to George Pickens or that high ball he threw up to Darnell Washington, but those are both like you're just putting the ball where your receiver was going to go get it for you. So, and so
1: I think like for the Washington one, that's kind of that's right where Washington can get it and other people can't. So I think that's kind of what you're going for there. You know, I think that would count as a good throw. The Pickens one was just more of a toss up. I don't, I mean, anyway, all that to say that's the problem with Stetson. It's not that he's bad, it's that he doesn't add anything in the passing game. It's never, oh, look, he made this big play, made this big throw to this covered guy, or what, you know, it's just he's going to get you. The things that you
0: scheme open or the things that your receivers pick up running after the catch yeah credit to todd monk and giving stetson what's been i think a successful year for him uh the plays are there uh if this if it comes there i'm i'm going i'm just going to assume there's something we don't know that's happening but if it turns out to be what i think it might be which is JT Daniels just didn't get healthy fast enough for Kirby smart. So he just decided to to stick with consistency. I will say that was a bad, dumb, dumb decision on his part. And I think I've more or less sided with Kirby on most of his QB decisions up to this point. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and that may be the case here, right?
1: It may be the case that by the time Daniels was really ready – to play it was like georgia tech or something and they just said oh no it's so late in the season we're not changing it now that's not how i would prefer it be done it's also not that like wildly unreasonable no but to me it becomes more unreasonable if that was your approach and you stick with that approach when you have another month between now and the next game because if you wanted to say Oh we don't want to switch during the season because continuity blah blah blah, but now you have a month between games you have a lot of time to practice and compete and get some continuity going again. <coughs> but I think uh, yeah, I'm with you that it's it's probably something to do with Daniel's not really being healthy enough to really practice and compete for that job until pretty late in the season and then them just sticking with Stetson because it's so late in the year yeah Occam's razor am I right yeah that's the thing we know JT Daniels is hurt and it feels at all like the other times that's just yeah the simplest answer but yeah all right anyway I want to hit a couple nba takes for us because the yeah. nba season is in full swing now yeah, and it's been going for a while and you know I, I don't know about 25 games plus getting close to a, a third of the season this one's for you kevin yeah this is for kevin uh i just want him to know that deep down we all know that if kobe were still alive he'd be an anti vaxer
0: uh that's probably true knowing what i know about kobe <laughs> That's the
1: problem, is it's kind of hard for people to
0: disagree. <laughs> I remember, it's, I don't know, it's, I think it's good that people can reminisce on Kobe in the ways in which you know it's the more redeeming elements about him as a person, but I do remember people used to really hate on that guy. Before he died, and then suddenly a lot of people, all, like even Shaq's like, well, "I don't have any. I didn't have any beef." Or was it Charles Bark was like, well, "I didn't. I never had any beef with Kobe Bryant," and they historically had beef with each other. <laughs> <laughs> uh Rest in power, my friend. Rest in power. What else you got?
1: Um. Let's see. We have one oh yeah. People may remember that they changed up some foul rules for the NBA. How they call some stuff, uh-huh. and uh, we have one tweet that mentions that Trey Young is leading the entire NBA in points and second in the entire NBA in assists. But that new foul rule is really messing him up. There was lots of discussion about you know how oh Trey Young's not good. He just is baiting people into fouls and exploiting the rules. And once they change the foul rules, he's he's going to be terrible whatever
0: yeah. uh, almost like it's almost like good players know what the rules are and play build their game around them yeah they exploit those rules
1: and they're just you know gonna move on to exploiting the next rule that's what's gonna happen oh hey speaking of exploiting rules did you see the pit uh, conference championship game
0: uh-huh. oh wait against the, in the ACC
1: yeah Did you see the Kenny Pickett fake slide?
0: No, let me see this. Okay,
1: so while you're watching this, for any listeners that didn't see this, at one point in the game, Kenny Pickett, the pick quarterback, takes off running. Two defenders start to get close to him, and Kenny Pickett sort of buckles his knee and drops his shoulder and acts like he's about to slide and go down, and then doesn't and stays up and splits the defenders and takes off and runs for like a 50-yard touchdown.
0: Woo!
1: Yeah, it's an absolute thing of beauty. They already instituted a rule change that you're not allowed to do that. Oh, that's bullshit. (laughs) Okay. One, yes. And two, also, it's a player safety thing and it's legit because otherwise they're just going to explode quarterbacks every time they're sliding because they're going to say, how am I supposed to know? So it's a fair rule. But it's a shame that everything fun has to die so young because, man, that was
0: beautiful. It's just so slight like it's. It's such a slight move. But as soon as he does that one little tell, like everyone else just kind of stopped, like everyone went into neutral as soon as he pulled that little move. (sighs) Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? Give this man a Heisman. I don't care if Bryce Young made the Georgia defense look like uh, Willie look like it was look like it's Willie Martinez. Ugh, addition, man. Yeah. Look,
1: we we all know that Bryce Young is gonna win the Heisman. It's a clear case of SEC bias, which is the only reason that Georgia's in the playoff, and the SEC bias is also the reason why Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. Is finishing higher in the Heisman vote than Will Anderson, despite having less sacks and 40 less tackles.
0: True, but he has nothing. Nothing but SEC bias. Nothing but SEC bias. I tell you, did Will Anderson wear, wear the same jersey number as his dad though in college? No.
1: So that's just yeah. You can't be a real Heisman
0: contender if you're not wearing your dad's jersey number. Yeah, you gotta you gotta have the sizzle and the steak. It can't just be steak. But you know can't just I, be
1: good at football. Come yeah. on, people. That's not what the Heisman's about. Do you know how Outback, Heisman is
0: about picking the
1: quarterback we like most of the play, playoff that's team? That's
0: right. Uh man, you know how Outback stays in business? It's not because what they're saving you is steak. It's not. It's just a dead a stack of steakums. They just give that little that little sizzle sauce on the end. They just glaze it over. And it gets like, oh, look at this. This just came off the grill. No, it just came out of a, a heater in the back. And they just, yeah, put a little bit of, a, almost like a edible polyurethane. Uh, gotta, <laughs> gotta have that. <laughs> gotta get this bad boy sealed. Oh, man. Seals the flavor in.
1: All right, Justin, can I give us just so incredibly dumb, so dumb that it unites us take?
0: Yeah, we need, we need to be united. We got to land this plane in these troubling times when the bonds we all share are threatened to be torn asunder by the quick takes the hot takes the medium rare takes and the takes that are doomed to be deleted on twitter tomorrow we need a sports take to bring us back together now more than ever these are the takes that unite us
1: yeah normally our take that unites us is something that we can agree with but this one is so clearly dumb that we can all disagree with it and be united in that All right. Also, it's brought to us by Mark Emmert, the NCAA president. Boo! Exactly. (laughs) It's like, this unites us in the way that Rob Manfred unites us. And so, Mark Emmert, and I quote, being a university president is the hardest job in America. End quote. Wah, wah,
0: wah. it's so hard being a university president people just give you so much money and you just have to figure out how you're going to spend it and you just ask parents for money and you offer a a college education that's basically the same at every public university in america but we're going to jack up our out-of-state rates because it's more special when you come from Indiana and you're going to the University of Iowa. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, mm, mm, that's some good stuff. Uh, I'll tell you, some, there's been some, a lot of dumb takes about NIL recently, too. Oh, uh, Yeah. It was a Bud Elliott gave a really sarcastic. uh, Yeah, he said, I'm worried about the sport. If top recruits start considering money in their decision making process for 120 years, college football has been based on purity and collegiate experience. (laughs) And Darren Roe was like, this is exactly what I thought I was going to (laughs) do. Hey, man, I'll
1: say Texas A&M is the only team that both has oil money and like a functional program and plays in the sec and they look like they're set to clean up in recruiting justin they are just giving oil yes they're giving oil money to people left and right they're the favorite to finish with the top class
0: oh yeah i can see they got that they got that kid from lebanon texas that could sling a ball like 30 yards (laughs) <laughs> he's dangerous on the ground though they run him out of that flex bone he can pitch it to a run back he's gone oh man well, man, what was man I remember Mark Emmert was uh he was on that train for a while he's like man I just think we're really hurting the integrity of the game for letting players get played while wow, he's slapping they're slapping dudes with suspensions for selling autographs for ten dollars and uh university presidents and ADs keep on getting like more and more pay raises. Yeah,
1: Emirates Emirates a dum-dum.
0: He also Uh, looks like a sock puppet or an animatronic person.
1: He does, and you're not totally wrong because he basically is the equivalent of a sock puppet or an animatronic person. He's not there to have any opinions. He's just there to puppet whatever the schools or the ADs want him to say, right? He's the buffer that stands between the public and and the people you should actually be upset with about any of these decisions, right? The NCAA is run by the schools, right? The NCAA answers to the schools, not the other way around. people forget that, I think. And so he's the guy that's just supposed to be there, get paid a lot of money so people can make fun of him and be mad at him and not be mad at the actual schools, who are the ones that make
0: the decisions and tell Mark Emmert what to do. Yeah. If people have any confusion about that, just I just have one question for you. How much has Mark Emmert changed the sport in the last five years? And how much has Greg Sankey changed the sport in the last five years? <laughs> yep, that about oh, settles it. That was my favorite pregame part of uh, being staying with Greg Sankey got to be on the field, I think, for a little bit. Grinning like a freaking bastard. Ugh. It's like, that that man wins college football every year. He had that grin
1: because he knew that Georgia was in the tank so that the SEC could get two teams in.
0: Oh, my gosh. Message... Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. mm. Just as reasonable as Kirby's playing Stetson because he's short and white, and they both have the same accent. Yeah. Message Board's geniuses hadn't touched Georgia. Fan base all year long, and then the oh my goodness, there was a treasure trove Saturday night. <laughs> it's like all these people who live out in the sticks or Atlanta. It's like oh man, it's from from Waynesboro to Fulton County. Everybody got on to uh, yeah. Ooh, it was take from, from from Waynesboro to Fulton sounds like a country song. From Waynesboro to Fulton, Georgia fans are losing their shit. Why is yes. it I'm JT Daniels It's Stetson and can <laughs> <f***ing Bennett. laughs> <laughs> All right, we got a new song. Yeah. Uh, I'll collect my royalties. So well, I think I'll about to do it for us for now. We got a, we have one more college football game, regular season game coming up, and it's Army and Navy tomorrow. I, I forgot be, about that. I will be tuning in the end because I love these uh, i used to really like watching ivy league games and i really love these service academies when they play each other because oh boy they go for it yeah that's a fun game i hope everybody enjoys sweet well hopefully we can get john back maybe he can emerge from his his busy life or he maybe i was right maybe he was just so angry he couldn't come on the show today but uh we'll catch you catch you cool cats later Wow.